0: We've helped founders secure so much money just by sticking to the foundations and not doing crazy flashy things or overthinking it. And like, it's you can apply for more at once. You can go for th- opportunities that are you know. We had one founder secure eighty five thousand dollars in one pitch opportunity. Like the money really is out there, but it's bigger than most angel checks even. So it's it's something that. Founders who are even going after investors should be applying for grants as well.
1: Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn are the co-founders of Power to Pitch, a company that teaches founders how to raise capital faster by learning how to successfully pitch and present to investors, as well as access and apply to grant opportunities. They are a founder and investor team who truly saw the gaps in education, resources and access to capital. And together they've created a company to advise founders on fundraising strategies. They review founders' pitches, they update pitch decks and actively make introductions to investors and so much more. Kat and Katie are experts on raising and accessing capital. So get ready to hear their advice and their best business secrets. Coming up, you'll hear their take on why women receive less venture funding than men. Kat and Katie share their advice on presenting the perfect pitch. You'll hear their tips on how to start raising capital and how they make their partnership work when they divide and conquer. And finally, get ready to hear Kat and Katie reveal their biggest business secrets. Kat and Katie, I am so glad we're finally sitting down together today to have this conversation as so many members in our entrepreneurial League community are really interested in applying for grants and also exploring raising capital. And you too are the experts. But before we dive into all of your tips and best practices today, I would love for you both to share more about your backgrounds prior to starting Power to Pitch. Kat, do you want to jump in and start? Yeah,
0: absolutely. We're, we're super excited to be here. It's been what a year in the making, we said. So I'm no stranger to the founder life. I like to say I'm a two-time accidental founder. So I started a company in college, no network or know-how or idea what I was doing, but ended up winning 22 of 23 pitches to fund my first company. It allowed me to do everything from retail and Amazon and Good Morning America four times. And then When FedEx posted my top pitch tips on their YouTube, it went viral, and hundreds of founders asked how they could tell their story and raise money. So I actively sold and exited my business after six years and realized that so many amazing founders I met struggled to talk about themselves, what they were doing, and what they needed. So that's when I founded Power to Pitch with the whole mission of helping founders get funded faster. So, And then I partnered up with the amazing Katie Dunn, but I don't want to spoil her background yet. But we we really focus on giving founders the fundamentals in pitching and their fundraising materials and strategies even for non-dilutive capital like grants in order to get them the funding they deserve. I love your background and we're going to
1: dig more into that because I have even more questions for you. But Katie, over to you.
2: So I have a very different journey. I spent over 25 years in corporate America, mainly in commercial real estate finance, so I did loans for buildings across the country, big, small, everything in between, asset managed more than $10 of commercial real estate loans in my career. And what that really taught me is about doing due diligence, doing deals, underwriting people, places, and things. And all the while, I was always investing. I invested in stocks. I invested in real estate. I produced a movie at one point. And then I got into startups and I loved it. I just absolutely fell in love and found it to be so empowering and so fun to be on a positive note and watch the growth of these companies. So one of my founders that I am the lead investor in her WeFunder round, she hired Kat to help with a specific pitch and said, you guys just need, you need to meet this woman. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here, but you guys just need to meet. And I was still working in corporate at the time, and she and I Zoomed. And after that first hour, we Zoomed again the next week and the next week, and we've probably done a thousand Zooms since then. But yeah, I ended up leaving corporate to join Kat and bring the investor perspective to Power to Pitch. Isn't it just amazing how
1: one connection from another person can just lead to the fate of your life and business? journey. Like it's just
0: so incredible to see how, how that happens. And what's crazier than we worked together and partnered up for a whole year before even meeting in person. So showcases the power of Zoom as well. Oh my gosh,
1: absolutely. I feel like so much has been able to be accomplished over the past. Oh my god, I can't believe it's been almost four years now since basically the whole world went remote, but. Yeah, just being able to launch businesses, not have to physically meet people in person. You know, the sky's the limit, I feel like now for what can be done. And I always say now, especially, I feel like it's never been easier than ever to start a business with all of the tools and technology that are accessible. But we really need to make it a goal and a priority to help founders stay in business once they start a business and having all of the best resources and opportunities for capital and all different types of funding are really important to actually make that
2: happen. 100%,
1: 100%. Katie, we all know the stats that are out there. You know, last year in 2023, of all of the venture capital that was deployed, only 1.6% of venture capital went to women-owned businesses. And that stat is pretty awful. And it's actually lower than what it was even a few years before. So I was pulling stats before we recorded this episode. It was 2.3% in 2021 and 1.9% in 2022. Why in the world
2: do you think this is? Because we definitely need to change this. It is a, and a massive problem. And I, you know, Kat and I talk about it a lot. We think raising the visibility of these stats and how pathetic and embarrassing and terrible they are, hopefully will change some people's minds. I have a couple of theories on this. You know, one is I think there's a lot of inherent bias against women. Women get preventative questions when they're pitching for money rather than encouraging and positive and forward-looking questions that men will get. You know, frankly, a lot of VCs are run by men and have only men working there. And so this is a you know an inherent bias within everybody. And I think you have to actively work on this. You want to work with people that are like you or you're drawn to people that share your same values that that you know might be from the same town or were in the same frat or went to the same college. So when somebody finds somebody that they think might be like them, they're more likely to give them money. And what I have made a goal of mine is to do this with my own investment funds. And I fund women and I fund underrepresented founders because I'm using the same exact logic. They're like me. But in addition, this is not just an altruistic or impact investing thing. There are so many stats out there showing that women have higher ROIs, return on investment than men. So for me, it's an investment strategy. I think that betting on women is is a safer and going to get me a higher return on my investment?
1: Absolutely. And I was actually just on a call earlier today with someone from a VC fund, who I'm going to introduce you both to after this recording today. And she was telling me, they don't get a lot of deal flow from women. And I'm like, what? How is this even possible? I'm like, I know a bunch of women who are helping lots of founders raise capital, who can send a lot of deal flow to you. I'm going to make intros. And like you said, where so many of these, you know, men have traditionally been the ones running all these VC funds. So they're getting those introductions from other people in their networks and communities. We have to be sure that we are getting, you know, these women in front of these funds, because I just couldn't believe it when she was saying she's like, yep, we're just not getting a lot of deal flow from women.
2: That's a shame. And we need to change that too. And that's part of what our mission is in Power to Pitch is we make those warm intros because let's just call a spade a spade. Cold intros do not work. They just don't. So for us to be able to take our founders who are investor ready, we make sure they are going to put their best foot forward. They're going to make us look good because our reputation is everything. So when we make those intros to investors, they know they're getting the best of the best here. They're prepared. They've got their data room in place. They know how to pitch. They're not going to waste their time. So giving women underrepresented founders that don't have that natural VC white boy network, we can provide that same experience for them and get them totally prepared and give them a, nat- a network that they can leverage.
1: Which is so, so important. Katie, also, I find that I feel like raising venture capital has just become very glamorized in the media. You'll see things like this person raised $20 million or $100 million. And there's this sensationalized story, which I feel like makes founders think like, oh, I have to go out and raise venture capital. But that's not always the best option for business owners. Can you share more about this, you know, over glamorized world of raising venture capital and your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, the numbers are sexy to the media, right? You know, those huge billion dollar valuations or 20 million, 100 million dollar raises, those get the headlines, but it's not reality for everybody. And it's, you really, as a founder, have to look at what do you want out of, your business? Is it a lifestyle business? And that meaning, is this not a business that I want to run for the rest of my life and just operate and take the profits from and have a nice life for my, myself and my family and support what I want to do and go on vacation? That's great. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And we need those type of businesses. That's 99% of the businesses out there of small businesses are like that. Only 1% of people actually raise VC money. The VC money or investors should be taken on to grow the business. If you want to really scale and grow faster. So that might be a CPG company or a tech company or something like the investors are going to want, you know, knowing what the investors want is really important. And that is they want you to scale fast. They want you to grow your revenue base. They want you to grow your customer base at a really fast pace and then exit. Because they're looking for that return in five to seven years. So if you don't want that for yourself and you don't want to have to answer to those investors and to meet those growth targets and to get on the hamster wheel of raising money every 12 to 18 to 24 months, don't take investor money. And we say that all the time. We want people... To keep as much of their company as possible too. So the longer you can bootstrap, the better, and the more you can keep of your company because you only have a hundred pieces of that pie to give away. Keep it, but it is a real you know that you can't you just can't be so dissuaded by the media and the those big sexy stories. They're really misleading.
1: No, absolutely, and there's so many other forms of capital, and especially non dilutive capital, like applying to and winning grants, like you have done, Cad, and you are the foremost expert on how to apply and win grants. And now you have created an incredible program for founders that we're super excited to partner with you on and share with our entrepreneurially community of founders. I would love for you to share more about, you know, your learnings from going through the grant process
0: and this program that you've developed. Yeah, it's funny. We were turning away so many founders. Who we said, you know, don't give up equity yet. You're not ready. It's okay to not be VC backable or, you know, bootstrap for longer if you can and things. And we were turning so many away that we're like, wait, they're applicable. It's, there's so many grant opportunities that they should be, be going for, especially if a founder has something proprietary and they're under $1 million in capital raise or revenue. That is a perfect sweet spot for enterprise or corporate grants ranging from $1,000 to over $250,000, meaning you don't pay it back. It is not a loan. The majority of the time, they don't even ask what you do with the money. So it was really created out of a need because I had a lot of that natural experience, but didn't really know how or when or even take the time to really put thoughts and experiences down because I realized that there were these few core pieces that clearly worked over and over and over again. Not a lot changed, but the same fundamentals and foundations that I built from getting hungry and gritty and not having a dollar to my name because I was even on a tennis scholarship, getting help for school paid for, like I really had to figure it out on my own. And we've helped founders secure so much money just by sticking to the foundations and not doing crazy, flashy things or overthinking it. And like, it's, you can apply for more at once. You can go for opportunities that are, you know, we had one founder secure $85,000 in one pitch opportunity. Like the money really is out there, but it's bigger than most angel checks even. So it's, it's something that founders who are even going after investors should be applying for grants as well. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I think a lot of times people
1: just don't know where to look to find those grant opportunities. And I know you were working on different resources. What do you have available now? So if someone is like, oh, maybe I should be applying for grants, but I don't know how to go about this process, what is the best way for them to
0: work with you or go through the program that you have? So we specifically created this program so you don't have to apply. A founder can sign up right away. And we urge them to go through. There's a few hours of recorded content of that, how to win them, how to find even more, the top mistakes founders make, even before and after examples of prompts that we've edited to help founders win money. And Katie's provided her experience and banking for 25 years on debt and revenue-based financing. We even have a bit on some accelerators if it's even a good fit because some offer dilutive and non-dilutive options. So we've really created a unique base from both of our experiences. And then in terms of finding them, I just had a really great natural network. And we've got, as of our January update, 206 grant opportunities listed. 206. And now 100% of them aren't going to be applicable to every single founder, but. The beauty of that program that founders can access right away and start applying right away is that they get our updates every single month. It is included. There are no extra fees associated with it because we just really wanted to make this more accessible to more worthy founders. And it's just power2pitch.com. Any founder can go and access that. and It's even available on a global scale because there are a lot of global opportunities listed.
1: That's amazing. Do you find once founders know how to, you know, craft their written pitch for these applications, it is pretty like rinse and repeat with a lot of the applications.
0: They can just go like boom 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 and start applying for them. 100%. And we even have a question tracker in there where founders can log what they've written before. So not only is it going to help you organize the business and track progress, you can see word and character count and especially we have a whole section on creating a 60-second pitch cuz of grant applications will ask you for an elevator pitch, a 60-second pitch video, something of that nature. So it absolutely becomes a copy and paste when you have the right words and cadence down. Up next,
1: you'll learn about the biggest mistake founders make when crafting their pitch and why it's important to put yourself out there. I have to ask both of you, what are the biggest mistakes that you see founders make when they're applying for grants?
0: We're going to be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The top two from each of you. (laughs) Okay. Well, the first one is not being specific enough in the allocation of grant funding. It's not about your investment. It's not about a loan or reducing your debt. It is what is the impact of the exact value of the grant, even if it's in-kind services, even if it's only $1,000, they want to know that the money is going to be doing right by the right person, have the most level of impact and essentially return, even though they're not seeing a technical return, because it's PR for the person putting on the grant. And two is not doing research on the organization who is putting on the grant. Because technically they're doing it for them. Not only is it tax write-off and benefits, they're putting out that I donated, helped X type of business. You're both getting marketing and PR out of it. So if you don't understand what the person promoting the grant wants out of that, you will never win a grant. So those are my two biggest points that I can think of right away. Katie, what do you think?
2: So mine is they don't actually answer the question that was asked so often people will say what they think the person wants to hear instead of answering the question directly. And that is, that's true in grants. That's true in investor conversations. It, it, it's true in so many things. A spin-off of that is the spin is people not, you know, they want to spin the answer to sound better than it is rather than just giving the facts. And in a grant application, you have to realize they're getting thousands of applications. So making yourself short, simple, concise, and putting forth your answer as cleanly as possible is so critical to keep the word vomit spin language out of it and just stick to the facts. That's what they're going to want to see. That's what's going to grab their attention, that you know how to clearly and concisely talk about yourself and your business.
1: How about when the grant asks for a video, what tips can you share for either doing your pitch video or just tips about recording a video and quality in general when you're applying for grants?
0: So I think a lot of founders get afraid of this portion and it actually deters a ton of founders from even applying and finishing the application. I get it. I also, I'd rather personally speak to 10,000 people live than stare at my computer screen or phone to record myself. I don't know what it is, but it that is just me. And if an application says video optional, know that if you don't submit one, you're already dinged. Like you most likely will not get selected because one of the reasons is it's a test to see if you can speak about yourself in the business. If you are somewhat presentable, if you're chosen, will you represent the organization well? Two, it's a matter of, is this person actually gonna put forth the effort and the money and have they put thought into this. And I think the reason why a lot of founders get scared of it is because they think that they need to pay for some big production and it can absolutely be on your phone or laptop. All it has to be is proof of your effort and then the exact video time. So if it's a 60 second submission, you will get thrown out if you are 61 seconds. I know because I've picked FedEx grant winners in the past with their executive team, and they said it saved them time because someone didn't follow directions and they would be one second over. There's that much competition. So as long as you follow some of the basics, doing a direct, like Katie's saying, answering directly and doing things the right ways is, is going to get you further than you think. But it's not something to be scared of because it's also great practice. There is no negatives to even just trying to apply for a grant.
1: Katie, what do you say to the founder who says to themselves, uh, oh, why me? Why am I gonna win a grant? Thousands of people are probably gonna to apply to this. Why would they pick me?
2: Somebody has to win. And don't self-select. I tell this to founders all the time. We there was a founder that we work with that was was applied for a very famous accelerator. And she was hemming and hawing about it and kept getting to the next level and the next level. And I I finally said to her, stop self-selecting. Let them decide, just get in and then see what happens. Then make the decision. Don't self-select. Put yourself out there. You've got to give yourself a chance. And why not you? We as women and as founders, there's so many other people out there beating you up every day, all day long. So many things that happen out of your control. This is something you can control. This is something you can put yourself your best foot forward in to, to win. And it's, Always a good exercise because it helps you think about your business. It helps you think about, you know, the way they ask you about traction. It helps the way they ask you about metrics, the way they ask you to be very clear and concise about talking about your business. All these things are good exercise and good practice for everything else that comes your way. Plus, as Kat says, even a $5,000 grant, if you take two hours to fill that grant application out and you win it, you just made $2,500 an hour. That's a lot higher than our rates. So like, I mean, that's a pretty good return, right? So why not give yourself the shot? You got to put yourself out there. We had, there's a founder that I kind of informally advised for years and, uh, you know, going on four years now. And she joined the program two years ago. She never won anything. I actually met her at a pitch competition. She never won anything in the years past. She won $30,000 in 2022. She literally posted on LinkedIn today that she just got a six-figure grant, six-figure grant to help her business. That's given
0: her 12 months of runway. And guess whose language she used to secure the grant? Was it yours, Kat? <laughs> Maybe, well, it was both of ours because she, <laughs> she posted in our community, it's like these foundational things apply to so many facets. And Kitty, another example is one of our founders, there was a three-minute live pitch Three minute and the application took probably less than an hour. The founders self-selected themselves. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. We're not ready. Katie and I said, suck it up. It's worth just trying. The worst thing they're going to say is no. And then you've networked with them and showed your proof and you can continue conversation. They won $250,000. And they think they actually FaceTimed us to announce it as because they were so grateful and they're really an amazing group. But It's truly you. You never know until you try. And honest to God, I applied for the FedEx Small Business Grant. I thought ten thousand people apply every year. I'm not worthy. I'm too young. I was in school. I'm wasting my time. You name it. I was telling myself it. I applied in my bed at 11 p.m. at night as I'm like on my computer trying to you know type in the form, just thinking, oh, what the heck. And then when I got a call, I nearly got into an accident because I was so excited. I wasn't even expecting it. They called me. I will never forget exactly. I know exactly where I was, where I was coming back from. And it was so unexpected and just a what the heck kind of spur of the moment thing. But that opportunity changed my life because it led me to even what I'm doing now. So we always say, even if it's a small amount, you just just suck it up.
1: (laughs) I say, too, if not now, when like just do it, go for it like you said, the worst that can happen is someone says no, but you never know what it can lead to. And Kat, you had mentioned before that winning a lot of these grants also led to press opportunities as well. Can you share more about some of the other benefits that come from winning grants? So
0: contrary to popular belief, the benefit of a grant comes more from the network PR and marketing then the actual dollar value associated with it. Yes, it's super nice and it's helpful. And I had a ton of money, to help me with inventory and, and all these great things. But the people I met were the ones who actually were way more valuable. And I'm still connected with them six plus years later. Like for example, when I won the FedEx grant, that was great. But I also got in-kind services of marketing, banners, booth support, copywriting assistance. And then it was before COVID, they had flown us out to meet with the advisory board and executive team of FedEx. They paid for the whole trip. I got to meet other founders. Then I served on their entrepreneur advisory board, literally picking apart the copy on their website for small businesses. I got on their podcast. I advise them on tools startups should be using. It was one of the most incredible experiences. I can, I'm so grateful for them and the people there. And I still text some of them to this day and ended up getting a co cool logo opportunity. So you'd never know what can come of it. Even if you don't win the grant, asking for feedback is super powerful. Asking questions in like pulling to get something out of it is always worthwhile. Will the FedEx team give you feedback if you're not in the top 100? No, but that's totally okay. There are plenty of other opportunities outside of that you can connect with and look at who the grant winners are. How did you win? What, what secrets do you have? I had people DMing me constantly. They posted a short YouTube video and it was like, oh, well, I knew this was easy for me and people for some, it maybe wasn't as natural and that's totally okay. So I always urge founders to take the extra step. If you don't win to do, ask the questions, be, get vulnerable, try to share what your current struggles or weaknesses are because you never know who someone else might connect you to. Those are such great tips. Thank you for sharing that, Kat. Katie, can
1: you share what are some other forms of non-dilutive capital that founders might consider looking into?
2: I talk about this a lot because I am a former banker, but a banking relationship is critical for you as a startup. Going in and walking into a bank is important. I know there's a lot of online banks out there. A lot. Of, I know that there's a lot of startup banks out there, but. I'm just going to say that it's not just me, it's NerdWallet, named J.P. Morgan Chase, the best small business bank of 2022. So being able to walk into the bank, developing that relationship, sitting down with a banker saying, these are my goals, this is what I need today, and this is my goal for the long term, having them in there with you will help you tremendously. As a banker for 25 years and working with clients for so many years... They get special treatment. When you are a loyal bank customer, you get special treatment. You get non-market deals. You get lower interest rates on debt. You get higher interest rates on your savings account or treasury accounts. There's all of these things that are going to open up to you once you have that relationship. So I highly recommend talking to a banker, talking about your options. So I love a line of credit. A line of credit is so powerful because you only... Are responsible for paying interest on the money that is outstanding at the time and you can repay it. So it's great for inventory financing, for example, or you know using it when you need to have a big expense and then you're going to have a big influx of revenue and then you can pay it down. And that's different than a term loan, which is you get a huge chunk of money in and then you're paying interest and paying that back, the interest and principal back over a specified amount of time. So, but those kind of tools, you know, there's different uses for that. Like if you bought a building and wanted to get a mortgage for it, that would be a term loan. So, having those debt options, so traditional debt options are really important. And then there's also things like revenue based financing, where you pay, those are, are more applicable for SaaS companies, for example, or companies that have recurring revenue. So, you pay a percentage back based on the revenues you make each month. And so that is a, is a newer tool out there. It's a very interesting option. You know, there's a lot of good things about it because it's, you know, you're not, if you have a bad month, you don't have to pay a huge amount. You're just paying a portion of your revenues back. But if you do have a huge month, then you're paying a bigger portion back. So it's, you know, there's the upside and the downside. And then there's things like the SMBX or MainVest, which are crowd debt platforms that are similar? You know, they're the same concept as like the WeFunder, Republic, I Fund Women, StartEngine type crowd lent, crowd uh, funding programs, but it's a debt option. So I really like that because it's a way to not dilute to yourself, but to get your non accredited fans of your business to invest in you. So that's a really nice option. I've, I've d- invested in one of our founders who raised a, uh, over $100,000 doing that.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I want to go back to the point you made about getting lines of credit. Courtney and I were given the advice by our banker years ago, like get a line of credit when you don't need it, because that's when you can actually really qualify for it and get that line of credit, which is so we got that line of credit years and years and years ago, which has just been nice to know that we have it like just in case. And then the other credit that we have used is Stripe has a Stripe loan. And a lot of businesses use Stripe now for like to collect payments. So the more, you know, revenue you're collecting through Stripe, they will then offer you a loan if you need it. So that's something that we've used before as well, which has been really great to just have access to, to know we have that if we need it.
2: Yeah, Steph, you are spot on. Get the line of credit when you don't need it is the critical advice. On a personal note, if people own a home and you have equity in your home, I highly recommend getting a home equity line, even if you don't use it. It's just like that emergency money. I know this is, we're talking about founders, but I always like to throw in a little female and finance educationist. yeah, passionate. I'm very passionate. about. No, that's it, Steph, a great
1: I tip. So I'm going to, add that to my to do list. Look, we we all own businesses, but we are also, you know, people too with lives. And I think sharing, you know, not just business finance tips, but personal tips. Actually, the an episode that we just had come out the first of the year is with Farnoosh Torabi. Do you guys know Farnoosh She's a money expert. She's awesome. She's someone else I should connect you with as well. But she's an expert in in personal finance. And it's so important that we talk about these, you know, recommendations and tips too. Because if you're like me, I did not grow up knowing anything about personal finance and, you know, business finance, personal finance. These things are not taught in middle school and high school. Maybe hopefully, you know, more so now, but definitely not when I was growing up. So the more information we can share, the better.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm lucky that my dad ingrained it in me. And then I spent all that time working for banks. So very, very comfortable talking about money. I think it is critical that all women should be talking about money, how you spend it, how you invest it, how to save it, how to make it, all of that stuff. Coming up, get ready to hear Cat and Katie's
1: tips on how to start raising capital, as well as their biggest business secrets. Katie and Kat, I know a lot of women founders come to you because they, you know, think they want to raise capital or they need access to capital, and they're just not really sure where to start and what type of capital they need to raise or get access to. What do you tell the founder that
0: is trying to figure this out and just isn't sure what to do or where to start? Well, number one is is bootstrap. Get as gritty as you possibly can. And whether it's, you might not be able to afford or don't understand, but using your own finances to your means as best you can. Family and friends money, if possible. Again, not everyone has that. It's funny, I actually just met a guy who, all of his counsel, legal, accountant said, you know, do not cash out your 401k to run this business. And he's like, well, I didn't meet any investors I liked. And he did, and he sold the company three years later for $50 million dollars. Again, that's not every single founder ever, but if there's ways that you are uncomfortable with being gritty to bootstrap there, first, understand your customer, utilize sales, give potential employees equity to barter with certain things, do that. And then a grants are, of course, always a great option. Ones that you don't have, those aren't loans. You don't have to pay them back. Government grants are really difficult. It's larger amounts of money, but that's not for every type of business and they require a lot more work and even a full-time person to manage a lot of them. So the corporate enterprise route for grants that we share in our program are a great way to start. Typically being two years in business is where you'd want to start in terms of getting certain types of, taking on certain types of debt and and seeking out loans and things. It's a lot of the baseline for companies that we talk to who offer that level of support. So, you know, we urge founders to keep that in mind as well. And then if you want to go the investor route, you have to understand your core customer how you're securing them, your actual business model, and that you have a plan that you want to eventually exit and make yourself and the investor money. They're they're not donating their time. It's something that's going to be really, really high growth and demanding. Fundraising can be a full-time job. So we purposely vet every single founder who works with us in our fundraising program because it is not for everyone. It is not for the faint of heart. You have to have these things in place and understand that you are also not all-knowing. You have weaknesses and you have to figure out and be open about who and transparent with who you want to bring on as a strategic investor versus just dumb money to throw into a marketing budget. So there are a lot of factors, but at the end of the day, if you can bootstrap and go for grants first, especially under a million dollars in venture raised or or money in sales, it's a perfect option. Katie,
1: anything
2: you'd like to add as well? You just want to understand what, you want first and foremost what do you want your business to be how do you want your your life to look because that is a big part of it if you're not in a position or or don't want to be on the grind and working all the time and trying to scale your business it's not for everybody so just knowing that and there's other investors out there too that that will invest in lifestyle business businesses or you know are willing to take a dividend rather than wait for that big payout. So it's about finding those people that have a different investment strategy that fits and aligns with what you want for your business too.
1: Can you actually talk a bit about that? Would that be, you know, potentially a group of angel investors who, like you said, are now getting payouts every year based on, you know, putting money into the business. Now the business is profitable and then they're getting a portion of the the revenue each year. Is that what that would look like?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that's definitely more of an angel investor. Like the traditional angel investor is looking for the same sort of return profile that a VC is. And that's that big exit in five to seven to 10 years. But there are people out there that if you just share your vision with them and say, would you consider this, that they will invest that way. You know, it's hard to find. You've got to talk to those people and make sure that they're all on board. This is all about communication and expectations. Setting expectations, managing expectations. But you know, I think that that is something that could be a growing thing. I don't have any stats or on this, but I do think it's an interesting business model for certain people that maybe don't want to take on that VC money, but want a little bit of investment to help them grow maybe not at the pace that a vc would want and then really run the business and see how it goes but it's they're harder to find i'm not going to lie i'm not going to tell you it's easy i'm not going to tell you i have a 25,000 contacts that i know that are doing this because i don't it's just it's really would be a very methodical talking to individual people trying to figure out their investment strategy their risk their thesis it's it, you know it really comes down to understanding that
1: Oh, absolutely. I have to ask both of you now, what is your biggest business secret? Kat, I'll start with you.
0: So the first thing that comes to my mind that I have taken from a mentor who I had years ago, and it was actually paired with them because of a grant opportunity. So plug there. She told me that everything is negotiable. And especially when I was dealing with inventory as an early stage founder, I thought that what I was pitched was it. That is the end all be all. That's what it should be. And, you know, we even had people who wanted to be on our team who were like, you know, I want this huge flashy salary and all these things. And we're like, you know, this is what our expectations are. And we work together on it. The negotiation becomes a really, really important part of the relationship too, And I think that a lot more, especially female founders, I feel like they ask for less money or they expect things differently. And in terms of going after money from investors, there is always, always, always going to be and should be a point of negotiation. So I would urge more founders to not be afraid of that because it's going to happen. And that being uncomfortable is actually where you're going to experience the most growth And so by forcing yourself into those opportunities, and even if it's with a retailer, like there's so many facets that will require negotiation. So just, you know, understanding that is is really key and has driven me into a lot of great opportunities as well. Oh,
1: I so agree. And again, if you don't ask and try to negotiate, the worst that someone can say is no, but you just have to ask for it. Katie, tell me what is your biggest business secret?
2: For me, it's communication. It's you can't do anything alone. There's always somebody at the other side of the table, whether it's a team member, an investor, a client, a customer, partner, whatever it is. So having clear communication is so important. Kat and I specifically, I mean, living across the country from each other, we text all day long we zoom, all day long we email all day long and it's just this constant flow of communication. I if we didn't have and it, it's it's always spur of the we talk on the phone too. I mean it's always a spur of the moment thing of how we communicate but knowing that we have all of those lines open all the time to make sure we're moving the business forward, we're serving our clients, we're talking to new investors, we're talking to new partners. That's the only way that we could have gotten to where we are today. And I think that understanding that what somebody's preferred mode of communication is and following that when you talk to them as a partner is just so important. You can't do it alone and you can't. You got to do it with clear, managed expectations and communication.
1: Such great advice. How do you both divide and conquer in business?
0: You know, it's funny. I I always joke that we kind of share the same brain about things. But when I was first introduced with Katie, I was a solo founder of my other company. And I was like, why the heck am I getting on another Zoom? I have all these things to do. And then when she understood and even provided a fresh perspective or new ideas to things that, you know, I, I didn't even think about, it was a whole new level of like trust and appreciation and understanding of like, she just gets it. We don't have to babysit each other for things or, you know, pray something gets done or it's like, I, you know, for certain things, it's like, okay, this is my strength or I'm faster, or this is your strength and you're quicker at these things. And so we kind of have naturally done a split based on our certain backgrounds, like Katie's finance and due diligence expert. Could I spend time doing those things? Sure. Do I enjoy it? Absolutely not. Am I going to provide all the right advice? probably not compared to someone who spent 25 years in finance. And then storytelling is something that I enjoy. I've studied the psychology behind it. I have pitched for God, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I've selected winners for storytelling. And and so, okay, I'm going to take that piece because I'm really quick with it. And I think that it's helped understanding both of our strengths and weaknesses and being transparent about it. And that energy has made it a lot easier for us.
2: We do collaborate on most things. And, you know, I think, um, I know Kat was, as a solo founder, she's not used to doing that as much, but she's amazing at it. And for me, I always worked in teams. My whole corporate career was always working in teams. So for me, having somebody else there to bounce ideas off of or to leverage is really, really important. And when people come together and you have kind of that the the blue sky meetings, if you will, everybody knows about that, where you just like throw a bunch of ideas out there and nothing's wrong or nothing's bad. That only works in a group setting. So having the other person there to just say, what if we did that? And then the build and the build and the build, it's super powerful.
1: Yeah, that's definitely so much fun. I, can't imagine now like having been in business for so many years with Courtney being a solo founder it's like when you have another person to be able to bounce those ideas off of to be able to divide and conquer and when you share that same vision you're you really can be unstoppable I think now like I don't think I would ever start a business without a business partner
2: the only thing that cat wants for us now is as we scale, we're hiring more people because she wants the two of us to be able to go on vacation and to know that our clients are being served. That's (laughs) her 2024 goal.
1: (laughs) That is definitely a very good goal. And vacation is extremely important because when you look back at your life, are you going to say, I wish I worked every single day or I wish I spent time also relaxing and enjoying the world. So vacation is extremely important. I am a big proponent of going away and spending time. So definitely hire, hire those people. <laughs> I would love to know before we wrap up, are there certain business tools or solutions that you recommend that founders use to help make their raise easier or tracking their progress
0: with applying for grants? So we actually created a whole system within our grant program at powertopitch.com. So we've Took it, taken all the guesswork out, have something that's proven for a lot of founders in there. And in the, on the fundraising side, we're the only program that stays with founders until the last check of their current round comes in. So we are the founder's full support system, which is why we vet them. But in terms of other tools, what I would actually say is what I, we don't recommend. I want to start with that because I think founders try a lot of other things. And it's like paying for a cold list of investors doesn't work. We had one founder come to us with a thousand dollar a month solution to be vetted and get a startup license and get this random list. And then, oh, there's this premium level. You can't have this type of investor until you pay for this and this. And I just think it's not sustainable and not going to be worth that return. And two, you know, not all accelerators are created equal. If a founder is going to choose an accelerator that takes equity, it should not be a decision that one takes lightly. There are some that are great, and there are a lot of others who have failed big time, screwed over a ton of founders, even this past year alone. So we urge them, You know, if that's you're looking for a quick fix and you want to give up equity and then get you know kicked out after six weeks and they say good luck, and then you're on your cap table forever, that's also not a sustainable option. So you have to think about the strategic partnerships, long-term level of support. Katie and I don't take equity unless we want to personally invest in a founder. We don't believe in that. So it's just... It's a matter of figuring out what options are going to serve you long term versus this immediate, you know, flashy moment or or need. So that's why I, I we really urge founders to think about a lot of these different options before diving in and paying for random lists and things. Such great advice. Katie, are there any other tools
1: or solutions that you recommend or don't recommend?
2: Yes. I don't recommend that you get somebody else to do your deck for you. We recommend using Google Slides or Canva or PowerPoint, whatever you are comfortable with to make your own deck because you find one small error in that deck and you can't fix it and you have to pay somebody to go back in and fix it, that's so painful. You need to be able to work it on the fly. They don't need to be, I mean, Canva has, their tools are amazing. Leverage their new like magic AI thing that they have going on. You can make a beautiful deck using Canva that you can edit yourself because you should be tailoring and looking at every presentation you do, whether it's to a client, to an investor, to a partner, the deck that you present, you should look at it before that meeting and make sure it's tailored to them and what you want to say. So you've got to be able to edit it yourself
1: such great advice. Well, I want to share with everyone. I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode today that we are partnering together, sharing your Power to Pitch program, also your Go for Grants program as well. Can you just share the difference between the two programs that you're offering? We'll be sure to link out to everything in the show notes below as well. So for everyone who's listening right now, if you need help fundraising or just figuring out how to get access to capital, be sure to click on the show notes below and you can get in touch with Kat and Katie. And they're also showing up in our Entrepreneurly community. They're members of our community and are gonna be hosting quarterly events for the community as well. So make sure to check them out there. But back over to both of you. Tell me about both programs so everyone knows the difference between both of them.
0: Yeah, so it's very easy. Everything can be found at power2pitch.com. But our core fundraising program is for founders, typically raising between half a million 3 million. Pre-seed and seed stage, you've got a validated MVP and you want to get investor ready. So we help with various fundraising materials, pitch deck, one pager, and then we'll make direct introductions to investors within the founders industry. And it's self-paced. Some founders take a few weeks, others will take a few months. The beauty of it is we get that fundraising is a full-time job and we become your entire support system. Then for the grant side, perfect for founders under a million. They have something proprietary. You can be pre-revenue. You can be pre-revenue. Same with our fundraising program, but that you can be a bit more earlier stage. We share opportunities from 5k upwards of 200k plus, and we teach founder or found and we teach founders how to go for it. So the link is you don't need an application for that one. There is an application for our fundraising program, but. Again, powertopitch.com. And we do have discounts for Entrepreneurista members. So links are below if you aren't an actual member, but we have a special offers for those that do. And it can be found within the Entrepreneurista community as well.
1: Awesome. Well, last question for both of you. What does being an
2: Entrepreneurista mean to you? Katie, I'll start with you. So it's a critical thing to find a group of women that you can... Go to and support when you need it. I spent in the 25 years in finance, it was extremely male dominated. There were very few women in the room with me so many times in my career. And a light bulb went off a few years back. when I was just like, I am hitting the concrete ceiling at my job and in this business. And I am fighting for nothing that means anything. So what am I doing here? And I actively sought out women groups and to really develop a network of women and entrepreneurista it's incredible to see the posts in there to see what what how people are helping each other the opportunities alone in the PR. Like I love the PR channel. I'm like fascinated by PR in general. So that channel I pay a lot of attention to. And just to see the stuff that people are offering to each other is incredible. Like the opportunities that people bring to each other, it's so empowering and so amazing to see. I really, that's my favorite thing. It's just a group of women that actually want to help each other. And that's what's so powerful about it.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. There's nothing more powerful than women coming together to to help each other and network and connect. And so much goodness can happen in life and business when we're all here to connect and and support each other.
0: Kat, how about you to close us out? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, of course, echo all of that. But I think some of the biggest things that I take away from it is the sense of community. And especially when I was a solo founder, it was so lonely and it's so hard. And even some days I'm in my own head, right? Katie and I are in the office together every day. It's a matter of how we're going to communicate. So I think having that resource, I mean, you can see all these channels of very, very, very specific things that you know, you can go to, to get support and immediate answer. There's resources. So the community aspect, it's not generic, I think having something so targeted is so special because it's rare. Anyone can go pay for a random community, but the the caliber of members in there is something that is worth its weight in gold within itself.
1: Well, thank you both for being here and spending the time with me this afternoon and sharing all of these incredible tips and learning lessons. We are so excited to continue to partner together for the rest of the year and beyond and help lots of women founders raise capital, get access to grants. Kat, where can everyone find you, follow you, share all of your social links too? And we'll be sure to link out to everything in the show notes below.
0: My Favorite platform is LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active at K-A-T Weaver, W-E-A-V-E-R. Same on Instagram or the Power to Pitch Instagram is just Power to Pitch, all one word. And we're sharing tons of free content, advice, founder stories, resources, lessons learned. So it's a really easy way to stay connected with us.
1: Amazing. Thank you both for being here again and sharing all of this great information and content with me today. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas.com. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.